Welcome back to the Big Wake Up Call. I'm Ryan Gatenby, and time for my next guest, who is a worldwide number one global best-selling author. Brand new book is The Edge, a 620 man thriller. We are going to visit once again with David Baldacci. And uh, David, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be back. I uh, just want to let you know, today you are joining our Four Timers Club, and you are just one appearance away from the souvenir t-shirt, mug, or cap. So if there's any incentive to write another book, there it is. I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. I want the t-shirt. <laughs> David, can you briefly share with us what is happening here in The Edge? So The Edge brings back Travis Devine from The 620 Man. He's a former Army Ranger. Uh, Now he works for an agency under the Department of Homeland Security. Um, He's been sent up to a small town in Putnam, Maine, right on the coast, very rugged, isolated place. A CIA agent up there named Jenny Silkwell has been found dead. Now, she's from Putnam. It's her hometown. She was up there. They don't know why. And his problem is, was she killed because she was of her CIA connection? And before they killed her, did they learn any secrets that might impact national security? Or was it tied to a small town where she grew up and something in her past? So he's sent up there by himself to sort of investigate this, work with the cops who were trying to find out who killed Jenny. And he runs to a small town full of secrets and a lot of really interesting, fascinating personalities up there. Um, and Putnam is in class by itself when it comes to sort of secrets. And uh, he has to dig through all of that to get to the truth. Now, I don't think we had you on for the original 620 Man. Why, why is it the 620 Man? <laughs> So when he left the Army under a cloud um, and he felt guilty about what happened at the end when he was in the Army, he decided, I need to sort of serve my penance. So he got an MBA and he started working in Wall Street in New York City. 620 was the train he would take every morning from Westchester County into Manhattan. So that's where the name came from, the 620 man. And some, one something that he saw on the train proved really relevant uh, in, in the story in the first novel, The 620 Man. And sort of the, the, the moniker, The 620 Man, sort of stuck with him. Now you say you're setting the story in a tiny town in Maine, a rugged place on the coast. Was this an opportunity for you to like visit a, a rugged coastal place in Maine for, for some realism in the book? <laughs> I've been all over Maine over the years. Yeah. I've been all the way from the, the south in a gun quit all the way up to Fort Kent in Madawaska, where my par- my wife's um, grandparents used to live. My cousin John Baldacci was governor of Maine for oh, a few wow. terms. So I've been everywhere. And um, we were just in Maine a couple of years ago. And in fact, we were in Kennebunkport. I gave a speech there this year. And it sort of rekindled my interest in Maine. Um, and I decided that when I wanted to set this book in a place, I decided, let me just do Maine. I haven't written about Maine in a while. I know the area very well. Uh, I picked Putnam as the name. It's a fictional town. Yeah. But when we first went up there, um, when my kids were little, we would stay at a rental uh, in a gun quit owned by the Putnams. So I thought, okay, that's going to be the name of the town, the Putnams. <laughs> when you are writing a character like this who is always looking over his shoulder, as, as the narrator, as the writer, how do you keep that, that sense of tension with the character throughout the book and have it so, you know, we the reader kind of have, have a tangible experience with that? Yeah, so he looks at the world differently than most people do. You know, his situational awareness is high-tuned. He, he 
fought in combat in the Middle East uh, for multiple tours. So every time you walk around a corner, somebody's trying to kill you. Every door you open, somebody's waiting inside to blow you away. So he, he, he lives his life with a heightened awareness of the danger all around him. So he looks at different cues and, and looks at people in a different way that he's been trained to do. I think that's fascinating for lay people who just sort of walk blithely through life staring at their iPhones and never think anybody's going to hurt them until something actually happens like that. So that's fascinating in and of itself. But at the same time, you know, the clues that he sees out there actually helps him to survive. Um, and I think people find that fascinating as well. And, you know, when I, you know, I, when I, my daughter is out somewhere or she's flying in late and going to the parking lot at the airport, you know, I always tell her, please be aware of your situational awareness. You know, don't be looking at your iPhone. Uh, know your surroundings because there are, te- there are tells out there that may help you, you know, survive. And, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be a doomsdayer, but I'm saying this is just real life. So you have to understand that there are bad people out there. So Travis Devine, that's how he lives his life, because that those types of skills have allowed him to continue living. Now, have you been able to have conversations with, you know, former CIA agents or, or operatives? And were they able to, to, to share anything to give you some of their insight? Oh, absolutely. Over the years, I've built up, you know, quite a roster of people of different alphabet agencies. That, sure you know, giving me expertise and information and knowledge about what they do and how they do it. Um, and it allows me to build really authentic characters. But at the same time, you know, there's a human side to everyone, obviously. And aside from what people do for a living, occupational-wise, they have families, they have friends, they have emotional challenges, they have things in their past that they have to deal with. And that really is what this book is about, too. So, yes, it is about Jenny and her career at the CIA, and he has to focus on that. But it's also about digging into her past, a past of which all of us have past and things that have happened in our histories uh, that may provide him clues to, you know, what happened to her. So that's sort of fascinating you know, aspect of the story. There are just multiple layers to it, both professional and personal. And then, David, I wanted to ask you, with uh, the holidays just around the corner, I can't believe Thanksgiving is next week already. Um, can you tell us yep. about Feeding Body and Mind, your partnership with Feeding America? Yeah, so we, we've partnered with them about 10 years ago, and they have this distribution pipeline, obviously, where they give out food at food banks across the country. Right. We support literacy and literacy efforts, and there's a fundamental connection between poverty and literacy. If you're illiterate, chances are very high you're going to be impoverished and food challenged. So we thought, okay, you have this network in place. I will go out on my book tours. My fans will donate new and gently used books. We'll pay to have those books shipped to these local area food banks across the country so people going in seeking food assistance can also take on books. And why is that important? Well, I've never seen a bad result from books being in a home. I've seen many bad results from no books being in a home. And having books there and the awareness that your kids have books and they can read and enjoy books, it helps everybody. It's a very positive thing for the entire family. So, you know, we've we've now uh, donated a couple of million books uh, over the years to food banks around the country. People have brought those books home, and hopefully it's positively changed their lives. Now, in the suburb where I live, we're, we're very book-oriented. There's an, an organization, and we have, I believe, now 149 mini-libraries throughout the village. We just put one in, in our front yard, and just having those accessible for kids and, and even adults, I, I feel like we're, we're making a difference toward just a more, um, I don't know, keeping people interested in reading. No, and it's it's vital that we do that. We've done the mini libraries as well. They're, yeah. they're awesome vehicles. We've done them, you know, various places we've lived, and um, it is. It makes it makes people realize, okay, here here is something that's important and vital, and it's free. All you have to do is open a little door, pull the book out, read it, and take it back, and maybe donate books of your own down the road. 
I, I just think people have to understand that so many of our social ills are tied to the fact that, you know, people don't read at high levels. Education uh, has been sort of a myth in this country. Hunger, poverty, homelessness, crime are all tied to the fact that people have not been able to realize their potential economically, emotionally, intellectually, um, because the reading skills are well below what they need to be. If we fix that problem, instead of putting Band-Aids on it, we fix that problem. So many of our social ills, we either go away completely or be, you know, uh, dissipated down to almost nothing. Uh, but for some reason, as a country, we just refuse to invest either the money or the political will into that. But if we did, so many positive things would happen. And I just want to mention to our authors, yeah, the books that uh, I get will go into that little library. So hopefully you will get uh, a new fan that way. And, you know, it must be interesting as an author, you go on book tours to hear, you know, the different ways that people got, got into your books and became a fan of yours. Oh, it absolutely is. It could be a recommendation for a friend or a family member. It could be they were walking through an airport and wanted a book to read for a long flight, and they yeah. picked one of my books up. Um, so it, it comes about in all different ways. And now, you know, I've been doing this for so long, I, now I get fans coming in, you know, and they have pictures of me when I was, you know, with them, and they were like, looked like they were about 15, and now they've got grown and they have three kids of their own. <laughs> so that makes me feel really old. <laughs> Uh, the new book, it is uh, available where books are sold. It is The Edge, a 620-man thriller, of course, by my guest, author David Baldacci. David, thank you for joining me today. Please come back with another book so we can ship you that T-shirt. Okay, it sounds good. I appreciate it. Have a good holiday. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, share with us a little bit more, uh, and certainly more than uh, what I was able to say in the intro. Tell us a little bit more about the Veterans History Project. At the Library of Congress, the Veterans History Project is really a collective effort. It's your opportunity to help us collect, preserve, and then we'll help make accessible the first-hand narratives of U.S. military veterans. We are looking for those who served from World War I through the recent conflict, and your role and that of your listeners is to sit down with a veteran in your life, your loved one, your family member, a community member, somebody you may not even think of as someone who served in our military efforts, um, and collect either the documentation of their first-person experience through photographs, letters, diaries, journals, or sit down with a seriousness of purpose and listen, collect their interview through audio or video means, that thing in your pocket will likely do it, and contribute to this important national effort so that we all understand directly from veterans' voices what they saw, heard, and did during their service so that we understand our collective history better. Well, then we should talk after the show because when I was in high school, I interviewed my grandfather who was a world war ii u.s navy vet he's no longer with us but i still have that cassette and he told me some uh, really fascinating stories about working on an aircraft carrier in the pacific what a rare and wonderful thing you did thank you obviously thank you to all the veterans but thank you too to people like you who stop and listen and not just stop and listen but record and understand the importance of that historical documentation you created. Thank you for doing that. Tell us a little bit more about the Commission Corps and why you're recognizing the men and women who served in the Commission Corps. 
So often when we close our eyes and we think about who is a veteran, that picture is informed by what we've read or seen in movies and television shows. We don't always think about all of the different um, opportunities for service that there are and who are the veterans among us. We are also taking this opportunity now to understand the service of those who participated in the United States Public Health Service as commissioned officers. That service was founded more than 200 years ago. It serves uh, a support for all the branches, and it is one of the eight uniform services of the United States. Those who served in the Commission Corps, when their service is over, become veterans, and their stories are just as important to our understanding of our nation during times of conflict and peacekeeping as the picture you might already have in your head, just as it is that we ensure that we have the stories of veterans who are women or from the Korean War, all of these areas that we might not always immediately think of to ensure that we have that full picture. Can you share an example or two of some of the uh, heroic efforts of these veterans that we might not hear as much about? The brave women and men in the commissioned corps, you know, they've been highly trained and they put themselves in the most hazardous historic events possible, as as so many service members do. And they supported things like... uh, the, the USS Mercy and Comfort, which supported efforts around the pandemic. They supported efforts with the um, hurricanes that you think of, Katrina, Rita, Sandy. They were there for the Loma Prieta earthquake. We, we are not always aware of what they do on our own shores. We may hear about things like how they were at the front lines of the Ebola crisis. And it's important to recognize that that service, even though half a world away, fighting the Ebola crisis really protects our health and safety here right. today. Now, my father and my uncle are both uh, Vietnam veterans. How can veterans who'd, who'd like to participate get involved? Because this sounds like something they would they would be very interested in. You have the right idea. You sat down with your grandfather. Now is your opportunity to sit down with them, particularly Vietnam veterans. Um, can feel a little more reticent about sharing their story. So veterans themselves can help each other by ensuring that those important perspectives are not lost. So often you ask a veteran, tell your story, and they'll start telling you about Aunt Millie, who was a groundbreaker, or a buddy who did these amazing things. Sure. The veteran's perspective is the opportunity to sit down and do that. Just go to our website, loc.gov forward slash vets, get all the materials there through our field kit to sit down with a seriousness of purpose and record that veteran's story. I love that. And and what are some of the uh, the other contributions you're hoping to receive? It is so vital right now to increase our collective awareness of these valiant members of our society, some we might not think of as service members, and give them potentially overdue thanks through this meaningful opportunity to elevate and share their first-person experience so that their voices, their perspectives, aren't lost to history, but rather enrich us all. Well, I think this is a great thing because uh, a lot of us don't know much about the Commission Corps at all, but hearing you talk about their their sacrifice and, and going to very dangerous situations in Ebola crisis, literally, 
life or death on the front lines. And yeah, their stories really need to be recognized. And I'm glad you're here to talk about it. Really appreciate the opportunity to spotlight all service. And uh, Monica, where can we go for more information, find out uh, how we can contribute? Please visit our website. That's LOC, which is short for Library of Congress, dot gov, short for government, forward slash VET, V-E-T-S, short for veterans. So all together it will be LOC dot gov forward slash vet. And we've been visiting with uh, Monica Mohindra, who is director of the Veterans History Project through the Library of Congress. Monica, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and, and look forward to hearing more about your family's service and stories and personal narratives.